I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share their real-life experiences and the tools they've learned and developed to move forward and live their best lives. I'm Jenny Taylor. And I'm producer Kellyanne, stepping in to guest host today. And this is an exciting day because we are with a, a man who feels like a friend, Sid Smith, though we've never met in person. But Sid, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you. It's good to be here. All right. We are going to jump into this because you have, um, as so many people do, you have a unique story. I feel like yours might be ultra unique. And I'm going to jump in and, and let you kind of introduce yourself. But let me preface this really quickly. A couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity in my my military position to travel down to Fort Sam Houston. It's in San Antonio, Texas. It is where the Army Medical Center of Excellence is, uh, Brook Army Medical Hospital, and what they call the Intrepid Center. And the Intrepid Center is very state-of-the-art physical therapy and prosthetic work Mm. for particularly military members who have lost uh, a limb or more limbs. It was the quote that came from this uh, was from the Mayo Brothers of Mayo Clinic fame that the only victor in war is medicine. And, of course, the idea is that out of terrible, awful tragedies of war, we've actually developed a lot of science and medicine that's then used in a civilian world. And, Sid, I thought of you, and our listeners will soon learn why if they don't yet know. I was at this intrepid center, and we were learning all about prosthetics and the training and the technology, and they had a timeline of what prosthesis used to look like and what amputation used to look like, and then all the way up to what it is and what they plan for it to be. And there was this woman, a female military member, who had lost both of her feet and both of her hands, and mm-hmm. maybe from about the ankle and the wrist down. And they were working with her to get her back to very independent functionality to where she would be able to take care of her own needs, uh, use hands that were not biologically her own. And it blew my mind because here I am fairly able-bodied with with two feet and two hands and two legs and two arms. And even sometimes I can't figure out what I'm doing. And yet the technology and the resilience of the person and people involved just knocked me off my feet. So Sid, with that, I want you to jump in and and share a little bit about you and your story. And maybe you can start by introducing yourself and your Instagram handle and then explain the name and what it means. That's a good, that's a good start. Uh, golly, yes, I, I do think that's awesome. You had that experience. I mean, I to start off, I am missing um, both my feet, uh, but yeah, to miss your hands, that's that is that is tough. I I get that question. This is, would you rather miss your hands or your feet? And I much rather miss my. <laughs> Why my do people feet than ask dumb questions like well. that? <laughs> oh, I well, when I, I do a lot of public speaking to youth, and okay. I'll, I'll get every weird question out of the sun. Like, <laughs> I bet. We could do a whole like, episode on with, awkward oh, yeah. questions you've gotten. Oh yeah, no, it, it is true. Kids are kids are awesome, but yeah, my a little I guess brief history about myself. Um, my name is Sydney Smith, and uh, my Instagram handle is try. T R I underscore no feet and try no feet. 
And uh, it's kind of a little bit of a play on words because I like to do triathlons and I have no feet. Um, and uh, so that's uh, kind of where that all started. But um, I uh, live here in Utah. I'm in the northeastern corner in Vernal, Utah. I have four kids, love sports. Uh, I like to hunt. I like to fish. I like to, like I said, do triathlons. I love the outdoors. And uh, like I said earlier, I am missing my uh, legs below my knee. Um, and what that is, is where that started, is, is a disease called Charcot-Marie Tooth. Um, what that is, is um, it's a progressive genetic disorder. So it was a disease that I was born with that affected my hands and my feet. And, um, you know, I was born with a normal body, but it's progressive. So the older I got, the more deformities happen and then surgeries to fix them. But eventually the deformities became too strong. Um, and then when I turned 33 years old, is that battle became too much. And the, the, I ended up having both of them amputated. So that's that's interesting. Let's talk about that. Of course, this is a show on resilience, and we particularly use the word relentless with our resilience. So for the first 33 years of your life, you already had this disease. This wasn't a sudden act of war or a car accident or something that took your feet from you. Can you speak a little bit about what that was like as a, as a child and a young man? What were these these surgeries and treatments like, and maybe how did that help you build resilience, or what were the difficulties maybe associated with that before you even lost them? Mm-hmm. Well, as a kid, you know, at first you don't understand, and a lot of times kids can be accepting. When I was 12 is when I got diagnosed with the disease, um, and I was at an age that I obviously started realizing that I'm not the same as other kids. Like, I kept tripping a lot, I kept falling. And then when I started going to use crutches and, and uh, had um, these uh, cast boots on, and I definitely got teased. And it was hard as a kid just because you want to be like everybody else. You know, all my, my brothers, they were, played sports. Uh, my dad was a big athlete. It was just difficult. I couldn't be like everybody else. And that, that was probably the most difficult as a kid because I just wanted to do the things I loved and, and be like everybody else. Um, and then eventually I got these big braces, uh, kind of like what Forrest Gump wore. <laughs> and ironically, that's right when the movie came out. Really? Forrest Gump. And so, uh, yeah, so I always got the, uh, when I was run, running the Forrest playground, run. I always got run, Sydney, run. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. How, how did you handle that? Like, was it funny and good natured or was that kind of more to that mean and it, kids not understanding that that could be hurtful? Um, at the time, it was hurtful just because it, it just felt like I'm on a thin line as it is because yeah. it's like everything's difficult. And the the, the toughness was a progr- was something that I just didn't have right out the get go. Sure. I look at it now and I laugh about it. In fact, that's you know I people do it now and I think yeah I give them high fives for it because yeah. that's what I like to do. I'm now, sure they mean it as a compliment, right? Right. But yeah. as a ch- but oh, as yeah. a child, you mentioned several things that stuck out to me. You children just want to be normal. Mm-hmm. Nobody really yeah. knows what normal means, but we all wish we could just be normal, whatever that is. We wish we had the same hair color and the same skin color and the same kinds of bodies. And we don't want to stand out anything different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. anything different can so often be negative, especially in some of those cruel years. Kids can be mean mm-hmm. with maybe yeah. out without not without realizing the impact that those those comments or those words can have. So 
Okay, you've got the braces. What what age were that when you got the Forrest Gump style grip braces? Were you junior uh, high? About sure. 14, yeah, fourteen okay. ish. So right okay. during junior high. And I, I just want to add, like I, I look at it now, and I'm glad I had those because that, that being teased or or at least uh, as a kid because it has made me stronger because it, it was just something that my parents have taught me. It's like you know they let them say what they want and you do you. And that's kind of where I just was more accepting of my um, situation. I was still a little embarrassed. Like, sure. I, I would wear pants and, and, and so that we could try to hide it the best I can. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, I mean, I wear shorts all the time. It does not bother me. I get looks all the time, uh, especially kids. They're always pointing and say, <laughs> yeah, Daddy, hey, what happened to his legs? They or don't why, have so many why does he look like a robot? <laughs> yeah, they don't have a filter. No. All right, so you're you're going through your young adult years. The you have the amputations at age 33. Talk through that piece of of the transition. A, a lot of times in resilience, we build resilience because of times of transition. Mm-hmm. Something happens yeah. maybe we hadn't planned on or hoped for or expected, and we kind of sink or swim, and we probably sink for a while and hope to learn to swim. So and you literally swim, so no pun intended. <laughs> but what talk? Talk me through that immediate recovery period of going from a man with two legs and feet that at least to some degree carried your body around, though with difficulty, to now you really don't have them. And I think most of us who have all of our limbs have no way of even imagining the difficulty of losing one, let alone more than one. Can you you walk us through maybe both the mental and the physical resilience that you had to build immediately in that, hey, I am now an amputee. Sure. Yeah, it actually, it came down to where I, I struggled with accepting my disease mm-hmm. at that in my late 30s, or excuse me, early 30s. And it was because the pressure was on, like, hey, you know, here I am, 32, 33, and I'm struggling to walk. Like, I can't get to the back of a Walmart without taking a break at the the dressing room. I mean, that was my, my plan because they had a place to sit. Was that because of um, pain and, or because of the actual Yeah. T- okay. okay. The, the pain. So basically, like, my heel, my ankles became my heel and the braces would oh. just rub and cause mm-hmm. all kinds of mm-hmm. problems. And yeah. I would get bones that would break because the, the disease made everything so feeble. But I was so acquired by the pain so well that I just accepted that I had broken bones. Oh, wow. But meant mentally I was stressing out and and then that's when major depression kicked in because the pressure of being an adult male I had uh, two kids and one on the way at the time I had a job I was the breadwinner at the time uh, running the I was running a hotel and then just like I was looking at my life like holy I'm still young and I don't you know if this is the progress like what's it going to be like in the next five years and then I started freaking out, like, holy, I'm never going to do the things I want to do. My kids are not going to have the father they wanted to play with because now I'm just going downhill. You know, that was really, really rough. And um, so I just thought there's something that needs to happen. Something needs to change, something dramatic. And so when I went to the doctor and he looked at my feet, he goes, holy, yeah, we do need to amputate um, your legs. We're going to do we're going to do one at a time. And it was just, it was my choice to do one at a time instead of both just because it was easier for me to get to work mm-hmm. in crutches versus a wheelchair. Uh, but unfortunately, it didn't work out. So after the first amputation, it was very painful. 
and and it was a struggle and I didn't understand what it that pain was like I had a lot of phantom pain but I also got really really sick and um fevery and and so forth and like infection what I was experiencing or... exactly okay. that's exactly what it was I my stump got infected and mm-hmm. I didn't take care of it mm-hmm. and so when it got to the bone um in my stump the doctors was like oh shoot you should have got here earlier because we could have done we could have beat it but since it's eaten a lot of your bone we need to amputate even oh, higher no. and so um at that point is when i hit even a, when i thought was rock bottom i even went down deeper and um that's when the suicidal thoughts came in and mm-hmm. was trying to plan it out because mentally i was like oh, yeah i feel like i'm a burden Mm-hmm. to so many people, um, especially my wife, you know, who didn't sign up to be a caretaker. And now she's got to deal with that. And and then, you know, and, and just I just at the time mentally, I, I mean, I look at it now, how silly that thought process was. But at the time, mentally, I was like, you know, I feel like I would be a lot easier for humanity and my family and my friends all around me if I just wasn't around because I'm just causing so many mm-hmm. problems. And so, so that's that's when I hit it. So talk yeah. us through that. You're still here. Those feelings of, of major depression and suicide ideation are not easily defeated or, or worked mm-hmm. through. Unfortunately, all of us know someone who's gotten to that point and is no longer still here with mm-hmm. us alive. Mm-hmm. How, what, walk us through that, that darkness, that depth of you're as low as you can go and then you go even lower. How are you still here? How, how did you get yeah. out of that or through that? That's a good question. It was a day um, I was coming home um, from a doctor's appointment, and I was just thinking in my mind, you know, how big of a pain this is all happening from from this uh, amputation. And I was like, was praying, kind of that something I couldn't kill myself, but I was hoping like a truck would hit me or something like that. And I just had this awful attitude, and then I came home, and I was in the kitchen, and my little baby, McKenna, who's one of my daughters, and she was learning how to walk. Um, and it was kind of funny because we both were learning how to walk at the same mm. time. And that sound of that that pitter-patter of, of a baby walking is, is something that only you know a parent can understand the appreciation of that joy. And uh, I started thinking about that sound, and every time I had these negative thoughts, I kept hearing that pitter-patter in my head. And then the, I, I felt the Spirit at the time was telling me, you know, yes, you were, you were giving you know, a life that was difficult, you know, a life that's hard, you know, so to speak, you know, a bad set of cards. But th- that pitter-patter sound of my daughter and my rest of my kids, like they don't need to experience a life where they have to deal with, you know, their father that had committed suicide. Mm. So I didn't feel like it was fair to them. And so that's when it, the perspective changed dramatically. Like this is not about me. This is about them. And I need to provide the best experience I can to make them happy because my kids love me. Like that, they didn't really care. Like we talked about how accepting they are. They didn't care about my situation, they loved me because I was their dad. And so I just put my head down and, 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 and told my those demons to, to be quiet and put it in the rearview mirror. Um, and I told the doctors, they said, let's go ahead and amputate higher. And while you're at it, um, let's kill two birds with one stone and amputate the other leg because it's going to happen anyways. Mm-hmm. So 
wow. in November of 2015 is is when we made that that decision and and uh and it was a good one like it was it was hard obviously you know I look at it as very difficult physically mentally you know waking up from surgery looking under the sheets and even though I had you know some mangled legs they were still my my legs and now that they're missing it was it was difficult you know i knew those that feeling of the cold grass or the sand on between your toes is gone you know on this life wow so that was difficult but and because of that experience i was i was hitting a reset button um and it actually hit me right there in the hospital where i was one day watching television in the hospital and on tv was the iron man um, which was this big triathlon race, and I've never mm. ran even a 5K. Wow. And I just, for some reason, just like, Holly, that's awesome. That's inspiring. And I thought, oh, how awesome would it be if that was something I could do? And and so I was just was telling people that I'm going to do the Ironman, and uh, people laughed, you know, when they came to visit me in the hospital, and they kind of chuckled, I could tell. And I think one of them, somebody said, hey, you know, what kind of pain meds are you on, buddy? Because that's crazy tough. <laughs> oh. But that was my motivation, and 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 uh, I I made that as a goal to to get out of the hospital, get better, you know, make sure everything's good, no infections, learn how to swim without legs, learn how to bike, and then eventually learn how to walk and run. Okay, well, we're gonna take a quick break for a minute and come back. I love the paradigm shift you had. I love that you called it a reset button. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about this new, new chance at life that you almost in a way gave yourself. We'll be right back. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Said I right before the break when you said something as you saw that Iron Man competition on TV and you thought, wow, how awesome would that be if that was something I could do? And that spark of hope, that spark of possibility seems to have been kind of a turning point for you. There's a, a counselor I met with shortly after my husband died who gave a definition of hope. And he said that hope is simply the ability to look forward to something. And and just to, to think that there could be, that maybe there could be something, there could be something good ahead. There could be something, it could be. It's just even a possibility of good. And so here you are. I'm surprised to hear you weren't the runner before, though I guess with the the disabled legs, that probably would have made it difficult. Because sometimes you'll see like super athletes mm-hmm. who end up being amputees, go back to being super athletes. But you, 
went into being a super athlete because you saw it on TV. Like, this is awesome. <laughs> this is the American uh-huh. dream. Tell yeah. us. So now you've, you've, okay, you're kind of in the mindset, all right, Doc, take both of them. Let's get this done. Let's maybe take it head on rather than in that, that dark state. I'm very impressed and just grateful beyond words that you could shift your perspective from thinking your children would be better off without you to recognizing they would then live the rest of their lives having lost you. Mm-hmm. That is something mm-hmm. a lot of people in a dark, depressive state don't see. Um, I said my father took his own life when I was 10. And I can tell you, I don't, I don't blame him. I don't fault him. I'm not angry with him. I know he thought he was doing what was best for us. And he was incredibly wrong, incredibly wrong. And I'm grateful that you had that moment and could act on that moment. A lot of people can't. And so that that's wonderful. Now you've got no feet. Try no feet. You've got zero uh-huh. feet. Again with, with your and now you're going to, now you're going to swim. Now you're going to bike. Are you using prosthetics in the water and on the bike? And then of course you've got to have prosthetics to walk and run. Walk us through rehab. As Kellyanne said, you're relearning to walk as your cute little baby is walking. Um, walk us through that. What's it like to be a grown man, husband, father, outdoorsman who now has no feet and yet has a dream to run a triathlon or, or compete in oh, a triathlon? No, that was the uh, the drive was to do a triathlon. And, and uh, I mean, I had to start from the basics. You know, the goal was the Ironman, which is the ultimate of all triathlons. So they have, there's lots of little triathlons, but the Ironman is the big one. Of It's 140.6 miles. Oh, wow. Um, I had to swim 2.4 miles. I had to bike 112, and then I had to do the run in 26.2 miles, all under 17 hours to be qualified or... or, or Wait a sec. <laughs> I'm a numbers yeah, person. I'm writing this down. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Did you just say what I think you said? I know the Ironman's awesome, but I don't know much more than that because I'm not a runner, swimmer, or biker. It's a full marathon, yep. a two-and-a-half-mile swim, uh-huh. an over-100-mile bike ride, and you have Correct. to do it all in the same day, like in succession? Yep, within in succession, seven, oh wow. within like 17 not time, hours. There's not time for a nap in there. Okay, sorry, I didn't no. mean to interrupt, but I had to like oh. catch the gravity of the goal. Oh. I mean, talk about reach for the stars, buddy. Okay, so yeah. that's maybe not your first race coming out of amputation. No. All right, no, keep going, keep going. No, it was my first, and, the, it, and, then, and really just, the, just started from the basics. Like, I'm a firm believer that we have to set big goals, even the goals like, like the Ironman that – honestly scared me to think about. But I, I put my focus on what is the first step into getting to that. And I think a lot of people get overwhelmed with some of the big goals. And, and that's important. You've got to have that in the back of your mind to stay resilient. But let's focus on some of the things we can do. And that's where it was. Like every everything every day was a step forward to that. So even learning how to walk and the pain that took from adjusting from a prosthetic that hurts to, to finally getting the right fit. And then moving into riding a bike, how to balance, how to clip in, and then how to swim. You know, I'm so used to kicking in the water and now I have to use all my upper body. And and uh, it was about six months after amputation. I pushed it to the limits. The doctors even suggested to, so to give quick. it more time, but I was just so 
motivated that I, I did my first 5K in prosthetics. And uh, it hurt. Like, I threw up. I couldn't sleep oh. the night before, even though it was a 5K. I just I didn't know what it was like. And so I did two Red Bulls during the race because I thought <laughs> I could see energy. Boy, is that a mistake? <laughs> so, Lesson learned. And, Lesson learned. Oh, yeah. Did you use running blades or... Line. Nope, I, I had walking feet. I didn't. Insurance doesn't cover wa- uh, running oh, blades, and I'll sure. talk a little bit about that later. But yeah. no, just walking feet, and you know, it took me a while, but I did it. I wasn't the last one, and I was happy that I I finished and it. You and did. Had my oh my cheer. goodness, um, yeah. amazing. It was a good feeling. Like I, I look at it now, and it's like a five k is just like not even a workout. But <laughs> and yet, time, it's it more miles like than I run every day. So go <laughs> ahead <laughs> yeah. and downplay it. No, no. No, it's uh, it, it to me. It, it, it everyone's race is their race. Like I, somebody now I look if it's their first five k. That's that's a huge accomplishment because it's something that you work for and you're achieving your goals. That's what's important. It's, I mean, to me, it's it, it, it. Yes, an Ironman is cool, but for some people that. 5K could be their Ironman. And, yeah. And for me, that was... it. appreciate was, you recognizing was that, great. that we don't oh, all yeah. have to compete in the same race to be to be, to accomplish our own finish line. Because I'm not ever making it to 26.2, and I don't even feel bad about it. <laughs> That's okay. I run into people that way, and I tell them, you know, you're right, but I do want you to know if you want to, you can. Sure. If you want to I'll, bad enough, you I'll, definitely can. I'll jump in on that with childbirth. I've never run a marathon, but I've given birth seven times, and I've had some with epidurals and some natural, and I will say the same thing to any expectant mother. If they talk about they don't want to have an epidural, I'll say that is absolutely fine. It's 100% doable. It is simply a choice. If you yep. choose that, we will get you there. And if you don't choose that, that's okay too. That you know, because there sometimes becomes kind of that uh, we put some of those cultural expectations on ourselves where we have to do this or have to do that. Well, no, we don't. We really don't. I promise you. If you choose to, if you choose to run and swim and bike, then all the rest of us will watch in awe. <laughs> but I'm no. probably not joining you in the Ironman. <laughs> <laughs> no, all right. All right. So tell us. Can no. I ask this? And maybe this is a, a sure. question that would be more fair of your of your wife if she were willing to answer. But you've mentioned your children and the impact uh-huh. that being a father has had on both the difficulty and kind of the reset, and then you know the motivation. You mentioned your your family's there for you at the finish line of that first 5K. Can you mention even briefly, like what what is the resilience in a relationship? particularly a marital or personal relationship like that when you have such difficulties of of both physical and psychological proportion can you speak to that if you're comfortable no absolutely and i'll try to hold my emotions back because it's not something that people ask me about because they just look at me and it's like oh sid did this and he did that but what they don't see is there is a there is an unsung hero in all this, and that is my wife, is because her emotional support was huge. Her being there, not knowing, just like me, the fear of what life is going to be like. You know, is she thinking, "Oh my goodness, I got to, you know, I got to take care of him, and you know, maybe be the guy, the, the person that has to bring home the bacon and take care of my kids, and you know, what's." What's it going to be like? So she was going through some struggles too, um, but she was better actually at keeping her faith strong and listening to the Spirit and the Lord that everything was going to be okay, better than I did. And so she was there 
to, to help me. And honestly, there's so many things I look at now that I wouldn't have accomplished without her support and, you know, being there for me and also taking care of things at home. Like that is so important. I, she's just as deserving of all my accomplishments as, as the, some of the things I did, if not more, because she is a great, great woman and she never complained. Like yeah. that's that's what I look at now. It's like she never complained about my situation, and yeah. she's an you know amazing woman. And and not everyone has you know like I I, I I talk to a lot of amputees, and sometimes marriages fall apart because sure. sometimes people can't handle that, whether sure. it be an attractive issue or they're like, "Ollie, this is a lot of work." Yeah. Um, but it 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 took work on my part too to try to alleviate as much work for her as possible and, and try to, you know, I'm a very independent person. I'm stubborn about it. Sometimes I get that from my parents is that I, I will do the best I can on my end and I won't ask for help sometimes mm-hmm. just because I, I don't want to be that burden. I don't know if it's a man thing. It may be, yeah. or may not be, but I think it's an American it's thing some... for sure. We are so independent sure. minded that we sometimes mistakenly think that means isolated. But in, you can be very independent and still have wonderful people adding to your life and, and your support. Yeah. Well, and just the way that you're you're speaking, you sound very communicative and open about your own expectations for yourself. Yeah. I bet that was a trait that helped you through this process, being able to communicate with your wife. Yeah. And I bet she's no, a rock she, star. That's what I. Is. That's she's probably what star. I'm saying. <laughs> she doesn't like. She doesn't like to be recognized. Sure. And if she listens to this podcast, which I'm sure she she'll will, probably she'll be probably punch me in the shoulder. Well, yeah. <laughs> Mrs. Smith, I don't know you, but I admire you, and I appreciate. At least in my imagination, I can, I can imagine, the rock that you've been and helped provided. Sid, I appreciate that you recognize that. Um, having been married myself to not an amputee, but a soldier. You know, you mentioned not all marriages make it through the process of, of amputation and rehabilitation. Not all marriages make it through deployments. And I I can very confidently and proudly yet humbly say it took both of us. It took both of us. And so I'm, I'm sure that's the case with you and your sweet wife that um, neither one of you could have done it alone. And yet look what you're capable of doing together. And I just want to point out the beautiful resilience that can be found in relationships. Like you said, not everyone has those relationships and not every relationship is created equal. But when we invest time and effort and and value into our relationships, look what a return they can provide to us in those times of difficulty and what a, you know, you speak about tools of resilience. I, I think sometimes it's not what our tools are, but who our tools are. So I would, I would like to meet your sweet wife one day because she sounds pretty amazing. Oh, she is. She, she definitely is. Like she's, she's my favorite, best oh, friend. Oh, good. Too. Oh, that's cute. So. All right, we're gonna take one more break, and then we're gonna jump into. Well, now what? You made it from the first fight through the first five k. It's been several years now. Um, I follow you on Instagram, and I know you are not just working on the second five k. <laughs> so we'll be right back and jump into what you're doing in your own life, in your family life, and particularly in the kind of charitable world where you're giving back. We'll be right back. All 
right, Sid, how do you go from 5K number one to whatever? I, I don't know what you're doing now. How many Ironmans? How many different competitions? <laughs> I would imagine you maybe now have some running feet. Do you want to talk about that for a second? You had mentioned the... Sure. Let's talk yeah. finances. Let's talk about how expensive it is to be disabled or have a disease, to, to have surgery, yeah. to have amputation. When, like I said, I was at the Army Center, the Intrepid Center, and they had state-of-the-art, state-of-the-art prosthesis. And I asked, mm-hmm. you know, how many, how many prosthetic limbs might an amputee have in their lifetime? And they said it would literally be dozens. Mm-hmm. I was shocked by mm-hmm. that. Because oh, the, yeah. the stump morphs and changes and, and the one wears out or it just doesn't fit right anymore. Or maybe you do need a running versus a swimming versus a biking versus a I'm a dad playing. Different way you use your body, it changes yeah. your gait. I'm, I'm so, a body worker. And that, yeah. 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 That's one thing we you see as well. So let's talk about the process of that. And then let's talk about the price of that. Because that can't sure. be, mm-hmm. especially if you're the primary breadwinner, you have a young family when all of this is starting to happen. Like this is a very expensive, difficult trial. Yeah. This is true. It, that's the biggest pain in the butt is is the cost of of being uh, an amputee. But you know, same with the paraplegic. I they go through the same thing with trying to get quality wheelchairs or quadriplegics as well. But um, for me, yes, they don't cover prosthetics uh, that are for running. Um, they look at that as a luxury for m- most companies. Um, and so I, I did have the basics, and so basically. Um, for youth, it is a lot more because your limb is changing, but that's exactly what happens. The limbs changes as an adult. I get a new set. My insurance will cover every two years, um, and that maxes out my insurance. And if I were to pay it out out front, the, the pair of legs I wear now are about um, 15000 Oh, my goodness. Wow. Okay. And then running ones are going to be about 20000 a piece. Oh, it, That's goodness. just with the markup of, of insurance. Yeah. Um, and the medical, you know, medical, being medical equipment. Um, and then there's also maintenance throughout. So I pay for liners and sleeves and the pieces that are wear out quick and socks and that kind of stuff. And, of course, because it's medical, medical equipment, it's, it's, it's super expensive. But the running was actually Blades was a, a charity called um, Amputee Blade Runners out of Nashville. And uh, they heard my story and I got selected as one of their athletes where I was sponsored um, a pair of running blades. And uh, when I was given those, that's when I started really getting into running longer distances. So I did my first half marathon, and then I worked my way to the half Ironman, which is a difficult race. And I did a few of those. Um, Basically, it's half the Ironman, so 70.3 miles. And then in um, 2018, I decided to sign up for the 2019 Ironman in Florida. And I, I wanted to take a whole year of dedication. I got a coach and everything to do that race. And so that was the, the one and still is the only Ironman that I have signed up for because it, it took a, a little year of my life of training uh, every day. And some, some weeks were anywhere from 20 to 30 hours a week of just training. And that's, you know, including my regular job and so forth. Well, and you're also doing you know, physical therapy and probably occupational therapy as well, correct? Or Well, not so much now because mm-hmm. I'm now, I guess, seasoned. I could go throughout <laughs> most of my day, you know, without wearing my leg. But in the beginning, definitely occupational therapy and physical therapy. But at this at this point, you know, no, I, I, uh, I'm... Pretty much living a normal life that the, uh, the I always wanted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was hunting and playing with my kids. Like it was, 
life is great, you know, because I thought was now over. It's now I'm doing all the things that I wanted to do. The fear um, is now turned into a strong faith. And uh, I had purpose. I, you know, I've I've had failures that I've under overcome, and then um, and and also that's when gratitude of my situation started to kick in. Wow, that's that's impressive and inspiring. Um, what is it? What does it feel like on the emotional side to run one of these races or compete in? I guess run, swim, walk, whatever the or bike. Can you walk through the process of like competition day? in your head space sure. and, and what that looks like. Not, not so much the physical, well, maybe the physical too, both. Walk me through both. Yeah. Well, so for me, the race itself was the pinnacle because it was the one, you know, I just kept looking back at the goal that I was setting, but leading up to it, like even flying out there, swimming in the ocean, getting everything set up, meeting all these people, like that was just kind of through the motion. It really didn't hit me what was I about to do until they started singing the national anthem, which is the oh, best wow. song in the world. And once they started singing, the tears started flowing and I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe this is here. And I'm so, you know, it's just an emotional song, no matter yeah. what, you know, the way, the way it uh, hits the soul. And so I just was so pumped to have that happen. And that's where my emotions, I was just trying to hold back. And, and, uh, I just, started this focus and I, I did the swim um, at record time. Um, it was an amazing experience. I had no problems there other than I saw a stingray and I got peed in my wet oh, suit wow. a little bit. <laughs> I'm a little nervous. <laughs> um, the bike was amazing. It was 112 miles. You know, I trained heavily on the bike because I knew Ooh. my run was going to be the most difficult. But at the same time, I had a benefit over others because I was training at 7,000 feet elevation mm-hmm. and down there in the ocean um, sea level, I felt like Superman in my lungs. And so I, <laughs> I rocked better through that. oxygen absorption. <laughs> yep. Wow. But the last few miles of the bike was when stress started to kicking because I knew I had to do a whole marathon. Um, I gave myself plenty of time to do it, but I still knew it was going to be difficult. And, and, and with running prosthetics, that's the most um, impact you can give on your stump. And so a yeah. lot of things could You're go Pounding wrong. every single step. Well, and is, is your amputation yeah. just below the knee or – because that also yep. – impa- okay. okay. On yeah, one's a little higher because I had to cut up higher, but both of them are right – one's right below the knee and one's a little longer. Okay. okay. Um, but yeah, the run was beautiful. Like you're running near the ocean. Um, it starts to get dark, so you get a, you know you don't see people as much because it's in the dark because mm-hmm. it's getting later. Um, I started throwing up because yeah. my I just like the, the food wasn't coming through. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I got a hold of some chicken broth on the race. They someone was giving out chicken broth and that helped. Okay. Um, and then everything was good until about mile one thirty three. And that was kind of a really life-changing moment for me. At mile 133, which is about seven miles left in the race, um, I hit a wall. Um, a lot of the adrenaline that I was pumping through my veins was starting to wear off. Um, my stump was filling up with fluid, and oh. it was hurting so bad. I'd take it off just to let the blood rush because my oh knees my were going numb. And I had all these blisters and blood coming out, and mm. I was worried that if I don't put my my prosthetic back on, it will swell up that I couldn't get it back on. So I hurried, put it back on. 
and I kept walking and I had to stop and walk and stop. And I started looking at my, my mileage and it was taking me almost 45 minutes to cover a whole mile. Mm -hmm. And I was adding it up and I was like, I'm not going to finish the race under 17 hours. hours. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was so worried. And so I just started thinking, you know, how, how can I get through this pain and, I just try to think of some happy thoughts and things that I love in my life. And the first thing that came into my mind is what I think is the most powerful uh, feeling that we can have as human beings besides love, and that is gratitude. So I just started thinking of the things that I'm grateful for, like obviously my wife and kids. That's where I go to first because I am one lucky son of a gun. I have beautiful kids. I have a smoking hot wife that loves me and supports me. Um, and I started thinking of my job. I started thinking of, you know, my employer is able to, you know, have patience with me in this whole scenario and allows me to come out and do this. Thinking of my friends and the contacts that I've made that uh, have got me th- through all this. Um, then I started thinking of my physical abilities, like, you know, I don't have my legs, but I still have my hands. And then I still have my eyesight and I still can breathe. And, you know, I'm here in Florida um, heck, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my legs. Mm-hmm. But my whole life, I always hated my situation. I always, I kind of deep down blamed God for this, and thought that I was being, you know, punished in the situation. And mm-hmm. and, and trials will do that to you. every one of us. We think that life's not fair, and that's what happens to us. And we're just life sucks. And mm-hmm. so I, I even at all these amazing things up to that point, still deep down in my soul, I felt a little resentment. But at this point, I started thinking clearly, like, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my legs. I wouldn't have the patience that I have now with my my spouse and, and life, and it's made me a better husband and a better employee. It's It's made me stronger as an individual. It's actually brought me closer to God. And I started, that's when it clicked that this is not a curse. This is a blessing. And during all these thought process of gratitude and thinking how grateful I am of my trials and my things I have in my life, I was running and I wasn't stopping. And wow. like, off like a pain society, I got through it and I finished the race with uh, 30 minutes left. Woohoo! I love it. I love oh it. Oh my gosh. I mean, you could just write books and, and thesis papers about what you've just said of the power of uh positive thinking over the physical body, not Mm -hmm. just over the mental, Mm -hmm. but that you went from walking at a very painful, slow pace to pretty soon your body's physically able to pick up that run and finish. Well, we're, we're proud of you. Like I'm clapping for you as if I'm at the finish line, like, yes, go Sid. Uh, And I love that, you know, you've been looking at this as a curse, but it was a blessing and you wouldn't have been there if, if it wasn't for that. Like how powerful is, is that statement right there? Yeah, today, even, you know, this has been a few years since that race. I still feel the same way, and I can't deny it. Like, I would never give up any trials, being teased as a kid, nothing. I would never give any of that up just because it's really the path to salvation. It's the pathway to happiness. It's how you appreciate those things and really realize the important things in life. You find happiness within yourself. You know, sometimes we do have great things that happen to us, but sometimes they don't. And honestly, the happiest people I've met are not the ones that are rich and successful and have all this money. The happiest people I've met are the people that have found that magic. Wow. That's incredible and and so true. 
And honestly, that I think that could be resilience in a nutshell is being able to let yourself appreciate the difficult. And um, I, I really appreciate that you said you wouldn't trade it. You wouldn't trade the teasing. You wouldn't trade, which most people would say, well, of course, I'm sure you would trade it, give anything to have, you know, this or that back or this or that not happen or avoid this or that difficult thing. And yet I think in, in true resilience that, as you called it, true happiness and our, our personal human quest for salvation of our souls and our, our ourselves comes in in a certain level of acceptance mm-hmm. that this is my path. Maybe not the path I picked or predicted, but this is my path. And if I'm being really honest and looking backward at that path, I have to admit that many of those difficult things have actually made me who I am and and qualified me to be where I am on the path today. Mm -hmm. And that's powerful. Can I, can I, um, the dream's in motion. Yes. We've got a few minutes left. Can you, and I think we're going to do a follow-up visit with you and some of the other dreams in motion partners, but before we wrap up today, we're incredibly inspired by your personal resilience and your family's resilience and this physical and mental tenacity that you've discovered and developed. Let's talk for just these last few minutes about dreams in motion, what it is, what you do, and what draws you to be a part of that in, in basically giving back and, and, and trying to help others who might be facing difficulties that might be similar to what you faced. I feel blessed as an individual, like I've had a lot of people do nice things for me um, and given me opportunities. And I think what Dreams in Motion, why I want to be a part of it is I kind of want to do the same for others. Um, it's a program where we provide experiences for people that are going through some some serious physical tr- struggles or, or whatnot, and uh, we kind of give them an experience that's a dream of theirs. I don't want to get into too much detail because I know I'll talk about it. But, yeah, we'll have you know, some more time. <laughs> Yeah, well, basically, we've, we've had some neat individuals that want to go to a sporting event or a Broncos game that's you know, struggling with cancer, and, and we provide that experience for them. And just, just to see them light up, you know, mm-hmm. that moment you know, really makes me forget about, like, I got, you know, my own set of problems. It's like, that's, that's not, it's not about me. It's about yeah. that experience. And it uh, just changes your mindset when you're doing service for others um, is when you really lose yourself and uh, not, you know, have to worry about some of the problems you have in your own life. So, so is it a bit like, I mean, most of our listeners are probably familiar with the Make-A-Wish Foundation for children who have terminal illness and then they get to go to Disneyland or ride in the Corvette or whatever yeah. wish they have. Sounds like maybe yeah. you're providing a similar experience, dreams, but the motion part, I know you do a lot with athletics and sports and kind of that movement side. So that, that yep. sounds impressive. You nailed it on the head, correct, yeah. <laughs> okay, so we are looking forward to future conversation with you and, and Bruce and Wes and, and just kind can of that we, ongoing Dreams and Motion team. Could we get the website oh, yeah. of that? Um, so where do we find information about Dreams in Motion for those who want to learn more about it or even donate to the cause? Uh, dreamsinmotioncharity.com, all one word. Fantastic. Okay. And I'm sure they have links to socials and, and everything as well. Fantastic. And your try underscore no feet at, on yep. Instagram, right? Okay. All yep. right. Well, you've kind of made me feel lazy, so thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> I might go home and see if I can sign up for a 5K. 
All right. We appreciate, but for sure not the Ironman or the full marathon, but maybe a 5K. All right. Well, thank you, Sid, for joining us today. Thanks for sharing your story and resilience defined and personified in in you and those two feetless legs you've got moving you and running you and swimming you. So we look forward to learning more about Dreams in Motion next time. To all of our listeners, thank you for joining us today. I don't know how you would not be inspired by this story, but we hope you have been. We hope you'll find us on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a like, a rating, and a review. And what we really hope is that you'll maybe take a deep look inside and find that story you're willing to share. You've been through something, overcome something, learned something, and we would love to have you share with us your story, your journey, and your tools of resilience that can help the rest of us keep continuing to live our best lives. You can contact us through email at rrpodcast at ksl.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Relentlessly Resilient Podcast. And remember, whatever you do today, remember to be kind. You have no idea the struggles others are dealing with in their lives. Take care, everybody. Have a great day. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.